Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. Amen. On the way to Jerusalem begins our text for today. Jesus was going through the region between Galilee and Samaria. Most Galileans by this time, including, of course, Jesus, were Jews. Most Samaritans were, <clears throat> well, Samaritans, whose long ago ancestors, by long ago I mean seven and a half centuries ago, actually a, a couple of decades after that first story um, um, that Denise read about the prophet Elisha and the, the, uh, the uh, soldier from uh, Syria, seven and a half centuries ago, according to the Jews, had after they were conquered by the Assyrians, they had diluted and polluted the Jewish faith via intermarriage and interaction with Assyrians and Assyrian gods. Indeed, they had so polluted things that the Jews in Jesus' day thought that if you got too close to them, then you got polluted too. Then you weren't even allowed to go to church until you did all that you needed to do to get clean because Jews then thought that even God didn't want you hanging around if you were unclean with Samaritan cooties. So Jesus, says Luke, <clears throat> was walking the border between Galilee and Samaria, which I'm imagining is kind of a neither here nor there, no person's land kind of place where Jesus' presence, I think we can be pretty sure, was not an accident. For in Luke's telling of Jesus' story especially, the Jesus we meet is a Jesus who again and again is drawn to the margins and to the marginalized and the borders, be that be the borders between nations or borders between races or borders between economic or social classes or for that matter the border between God and human sin or for that matter the border between death and life. These, Scripture says, are places not to be surprised when Jesus shows up. And so were this story unfolding and being told today, I imagine it beginning something like, on the way from El Paso to Brownsville, Jesus was walking along the Rio Grande between Mexico and the United States. Where Luke says, as he entered a village, ten Lepers approached him, keeping their distance. Samaritans weren't the only ones whom Jews insisted keep their distance, 
lest they contaminate you. The same was true, even more so perhaps, for lepers, who if they got too close, you were even allowed to throw stones at them to drive them back. They were also commanded to warn you away. As you got near or as they got near, they were to shout, unclean, unclean. So from a distance, Luke says, they called out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Several things. They called him Jesus. They knew his name. Apparently, even though they were quarantined, they had heard about him and of the miraculous things he'd been doing. In that context, I think the word Jesus spoken here is actually spoken as a word of hope. Maybe what he's done, he can do for us. I invite you to know that as a word of hope also when you're the one saying it, inviting Jesus into your place and your need. They call him master, which among other things <clears throat> is the word disciples would use to refer to their teacher or leader. And so in that context, I think of the word master as a word of faith. And they called out for mercy. A word we use every single week, multiple times in worship. Lord, have mercy. We sing multiple times during the Kyrie. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We say most often, or some version of that, after the petitions of our prayers. Mercy, I think, is a word oft misunderstood. Or maybe more accurately, I think it's a word oft fenced in and limited by those who think that the word mercy is synonymous with forgiveness, which it is not. For though the two are related, they are not identical. Because while to be forgiving is to be merciful, to be merciful is not limited to being forgiving. To be forgiving is to be merciful. To be merciful is not limited to being forgiving because to be merciful and this by the way is my definition which I came up with in an attempt to have a definition wide enough to wrap itself around all the different ways that the word mercy is used in scripture and that definition goes like this to be merciful is to be kind or helpful or compassionate oftentimes in ways that are tangible to someone in their need in a way that you are able to be, but you wouldn't necessarily have to be. Like when you give a dollar or a McDonald's gift card to the guy holding up the sign at the stoplight, or when you bring a bag of groceries to church for the food pantry, or when you do whatever it is you do to support an organization like Table to Table, and someone who is hungry is fed. That's not something you have to do. It's something you can do. And when you do, you're being merciful. And two, if someone is homeless, and though once again you didn't have to, but you could, and so you did, give a, a financial donation, for example, to a place like Shelter House, or maybe a time and talent donation to a place like Habitat for Humanity, and someone now does have a place to live. And when you did that, you were being merciful. And so too, though you didn't have to, you could, and so you did, assemble quilts with the peacemakers or school kits with your circle or, or you brought a winter coat to the rack in the narthex so somebody who didn't have a coat this winter now does have a coat this winter and doing that you are being merciful and yes of course too if someone sins against you and you do forgive them you're being merciful
Blessed, says Jesus, are the merciful. God, says Jesus, is merciful. As in when of course you've sinned and will again, and God forgave and will again, God is being merciful. And when you count your blessings and you realize you have more than you need, and so you do reach out to those in need, your mercy to others is born of God's mercies to you. And too, if someone dies, indeed when you one day die, as of course you will, and God doesn't have to, but God does raise you from the dead, God is being merciful. And so too in this scene with ten lepers crying out for mercy, if Jesus could and Jesus would heal them, then Jesus would be merciful, which scripture says Jesus is. And so in this story when mercy is what is cried out for, what he can do, he does do as he says to the lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests. In the practice of that time, it would have been in each of their case, maybe a few months ago, maybe years ago, when there had been a priest functioning not only as a designated spiritual health officer, but functioning also as a public health officer who would have inspected each of them and declared them to be leprous and therefore to be unclean and therefore to be contaminated, contaminated quarantined from the community because of their contamination. And so, too, were it ever to happen, but of course this never happened because in those times there was no cure for leprosy. But if it had ever happened, it would have been the priests, if someone was healed of their leprosy, would have been the priests who had the authority to declare the unclean now to be clean and thus welcomed back to community. But here on this day, Jesus says, Jesus being merciful, and Jesus being Jesus. As they headed for the priests, they were, says Jesus, made clean. Their leprosy healed. And one of them then, Luke says, when he noticed that he had been healed, turned back to Jesus and fell down on his feet, thanking him, praising God, from whom this merciful blessing had surely flowed. And he... Luke tells us, was a Samaritan. While the others, I think the, the context pretty clearly suggests, were all Jews. Which means, I'm pretty sure, that they, the nine, at the border had, had taken a right to find a Jewish priest, while he, from that same place, had then taken a left to find a Samaritan priest, because a Jewish priest wouldn't have declared him clean and welcomed him back to the community because though no longer leprous, he was still a Samaritan. And so while the others take the mercy and run to the priests, he, realizing the mercy, ran back to Jesus and fell at his feet in gratitude and worship. Playing by the book, of course, Jesus could have said, Back off, you're a Samaritan, you're making me dirty. But Jesus didn't. Jesus doesn't play by that book. For he didn't view this man's Samaritanness as something of which he needed to be healed. For it is in the kingdoms of this world 
not the kingdom of heaven, where differentness is viewed as a disease and unlikeness as a contagion. It was true for Jews in their dealing with Samaritans. It was true for Nazis in their dealings with Jews and non-heterosexuals. It was true, remains true for too many whites in their dealing with non-whites as it is true for too many in this nation today who loudly profess some kind of co-mingled and seemingly co-equal allegiance to both God and country, but who in fact have sold their souls to and given their hearts to saviors who hate the same people they do, as opposed to the savior who calls his people to love the same people he does. And they are especially to be found at the margins and at the borders. A margin and border in our gospel text case where now lies a Samaritan in gratitude to Jesus and praising God for the mercifully healing power he'd experienced in Jesus. At which point Jesus asks three questions. Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was no one found to return and give thanks but this foreigner? The questions are rhetorical, of course. They're rhetoric pointing to the fact that wherever the other nine were, they weren't here. And then comes the last line, which also happens to be the punchline of this scene. As to the one lying at his feet, Jesus now says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. A grammar note, you can't tell this in English. Uh, English doesn't distinguish this. But in the Greek, the word you and the word your are both singular. As in him saying singularly to him alone, your faith has made you well. Which kind of maybe, sort of, can sound a little odd because of course he, he wasn't the only one who in faith had cried out to Jesus and been healed of his leprosy. This was true of all ten of them, right? And so they'd all ten been made well, right? Except Jesus doesn't here say, all y'all's faith has made all y'all well, but rather says to the one, your faith, your faith has made you well, which maybe possibly could just be because this is actually the only one here. And so, of course, he speaks in the first, second person singular, but I think it's more than that. I think this punchline points to more than that. Indicated by the fact that Jesus doesn't say to the one lying at his feet, your faith has healed you, because in fact he wasn't the only one. The other nine too had been healed. He doesn't say to the one, your faith has healed you. He says to the one, your faith has made you well. All were healed by Jesus. The one said Jesus was more than healed. He was well. I think the point is there's a difference between healing and wellness. Veronica Martin Thomas puts it this way, healing changes the physical state, being made well changes the spiritual state. Healing changes the outer appearance, being made well cleanses, changes the inward condition. Healing cleanses the body, being made well cleanses the heart and soul. Healing deals with existing, being made well deals with living. Healing deals with receiving, being made well deals with giving, caring, and sharing. Heal me so I can look better, make me well so I can act better. Heal me so I can feel better, make me well so I can become better. Heal me so I can return to my friends, make me well so I can be a friend. 
Heal me so I feel no more pain. Make me well so I feel the pain of others. Heal me so I can have no more tears. Make me well so I can share the tears of others. All ten were healed by Jesus. This one singularly was declared by Jesus to be well. And the point I hear this punchline of this story punching out is that the difference-making thing between the two is gratitude. It's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be grateful to the one who heals. It's one thing to be blessed. It's another thing to be grateful to the one who blesses. It's one thing to be shown mercy. It's another thing to be grateful to the one who's merciful. For what gratitude does, it, gratitude turns us from ourselves in the direction of God, who has an oh-so-merciful way of healing us then even further by turning us in the direction of our neighbors, especially the neighbors on the borders. Amen.